0: you're listening to a podcast from the journal of the american association of nurse practitioners i'm kim curry editor-in-chief of the journal welcome to here's the issue featuring our september 2022 issue of the journal Well, readers will find a lot to like in this issue, and I'm going to summarize some of the articles for you here. First, we have a quantitative research study about essential genomics knowledge for the nurse practitioner curricula. We also have a research study about the neonatal workforce environment for neonatal NPs. Finally, we have a study concerning African-Americans suffering from type 2 diabetes mellitus. We also have three quality improvement reports in this study. One is on a protocol for cervical cancer screening, Another is on detection of obstructive sleep apnea in atrial fibrillation. And a third is on the effect of COVID-19 on quality measures in type 2 diabetes. Then we also have a clinical and case report on apathetic hyperthyroidism, and you'll hear a brief interview on that report later in this podcast. Our first study is a quantitative research piece by Connors, Sheryl, and Dietrich. It's called Essential Genomic Knowledge in Graduate Nursing Practice. Here's the abstract. Genetics-informed nursing is essential to personalized healthcare, care, and advanced practice nurses will increasingly encounter genomic information in clinical care and are expected to have competency. So this study was designed to examine genomic competency of advanced practice nursing students and faculty in a graduate nursing school. They used a convenient sample of graduate nursing faculty and students, and they were all sent a survey. And the survey included demographic questionnaire, genomic competency items, and a genomic nursing concept inventory. The results showed that the students' genomic nursing concept inventory overall scores were higher than those for faculty. Some of the things that were correlated with a higher score included age, entering nursing school after the year 2010, and previous genomics course content. The study indicated that faculty and students in a graduate nursing school perceive and demonstrate low genomic knowledge, particularly in basic genomics, so further exploration into innovative methods to provide basic genomic education is needed. Our next study is by SNAP, McCutcheon, Moore, and Teal, and it's titled Neonatal Nurse Practitioner, Job Satisfaction, Workforce Environment, and Mental Well-Being. Here's the abstract. The purpose of this study was to understand how work environment and work hours influence job or career satisfaction. And a little bit about the methodology: the uh, the National Association of Neonatal Nurse Practitioners, in collaboration with the National Certification Corporation, emailed an online survey to all 6,558 certified neonatal nurse practitioners during the year 2020. So these are some of the results from that survey. Uh, There were a total of 845 respondents, so that's about 12.8% in the response rate. Subjects of the study included those NNPs with responsibilities in direct patient care, transport NPs, uh, faculty and directors, and advanced practice registered nurse coordinators, managers, and some administrators. As far as the results, satisfaction with career choice as a neonatal nurse practitioner was reported as very satisfied by 58% of respondents and mostly satisfied by 37%. In terms of satisfaction with the current job as a neonatal nurse practitioner, this was reported as very satisfied for 30% of respondents with 51% being mostly satisfied. Now, age did influence the satisfaction scores with neonatal nurse practitioners age 61 or older having a higher mean score than neonatal nurse practitioners age 31 to 40. The majority of neonatal nurse practitioners also did not use all of their available paid time off, and neonatal nurse practitioners did report experiencing some bullying and lateral violence in the workplace. 17% overall had called in sick for mental health reasons. Conclusions were that neonatal nurse practitioner's satisfaction is a multifactorial phenomenon and those who reported taking time off for self-prescribed mental health were correlated with those having less job satisfaction, more work hours, a poorer work-life balance, and a less than optimum work environment. So overall, Neonatal nurse practitioners are satisfied with their career choice, but are less satisfied with their job choice. Understanding factors that influence mental well-being and job satisfaction will improve recruitment and retention of nurse practitioners. Our last research study that we'll feature this month is by Ajawan and Incel, and it's titled Health Literacy, Illness Perception, Depression, and Self-Management Among African Americans with Type 2 Diabetes. Here's the abstract. Type 2 diabetes mellitus causes significant morbidity and mortality. And compared with non-Hispanic whites, African Americans are more likely to suffer and die from type 2 diabetes. So the purposes of the study were to examine factors associated with self-management of diabetes. So for example, the associations between health literacy, illness perception, and then other factors like depression, working memory, executive function, and then self-management. The authors used a descriptive cross-sectional study design, and data were collected through the Research Electronic Data Capture System, or REDCap, and then they were transferred to the Statistical Package for the Social Sciences, SPSS, version 26, for statistical analysis. Fifty-three participants met the study criteria. The results show that health literacy was associated with depression, more concerns about illness, and better medication adherence. Higher levels of depression were inversely associated with medication adherence, and higher concern about illness was associated with lower medication adherence. The conclusions the authors drew were that lower health literacy coupled with illness perception and depression is associated with lower self-management behaviors among African Americans, which can lead to complications of type 2 diabetes. So more studies are needed to examine the association of cognitive factors with the self-management activities among African Americans with type 2 diabetes. Implications are that limited health literacy is associated with lower medication adherence and illness perception is a significant factor that influences self-management behaviors of type 2 diabetes among African Americans. So using screening tools that assess health literacy and illness perception may address some of these underlying concerns regarding adherence to type 2 diabetes treatment regimens in African-American patients. By the way, this feature is also our continuing education feature for the month. And now you'll hear a short interview with one of the authors of our clinical and case study feature for September. Our guest today is Dr. Rom Delacroix. He's a family nurse practitioner and associate professor of nursing at the University of Tampa, and he co-authored a clinical and case study article with Dr. Julie Umberger. Their article is titled Apathetic Hyperthyroidism in an Elderly Patient Presenting with Psychomotor Retardation. In the article, the authors point out that hyperthyroidism in the elderly population is often associated with atypical, blunted, or even nonspecific signs and symptoms known to be apathetic hyperthyroidism. An absence of the clinical hyperkinetic presentation can be confused by clinicians with the normal aging process or other diseases, and this often leads to misdiagnosis, delayed treatment, and negative outcomes for our elderly patients. So the authors provide a case study of an elderly patient to illustrate the atypical presentation of AH or apathetic hyperthyroidism. The vignette highlights a diagnostic and treatment approach based on geriatric medicine fundamentals and evidence based research. Factors and pathogenetic mechanisms that contribute to endocrine disruptors are reviewed, and along with the lack of hyperadrenergic signs and symptoms that can occur in the elderly with hyperthyroidism. They feature an evidence based, patient centered approach to manage AH. And one point made is that nurse practitioners need to cultivate an illness script inclusive of atypical presentations to guide their clinical decision making. In other words, this needs to be in everyone's mental toolkit of potential diagnoses. Uh, Dr. Delacroix, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Curry.
0: Now, your article does a great job of pointing out many differences in presentation that apathetic hyperthyroidism can have, from the typical presentation of hyperthyroidism. So can you go over some of these for us? Um, What should providers be on the lookout for?
1: First, let me thank you for inviting me to your podcast. That was very kind of you. So you mentioned in your introduction that apathetic hyperthyroidism presents with that lack of hyperkinetic motor activities and or hyperactive behaviors. So you will not see nervousness or mania. And actually, it's the opposite. They present with severe fatigue, severe depression. Often, apathetic hyperthyroidism is uh, misdiagnosed as severe depression or failure to thrive. So you already see, you no know, psychomotor retardation. And so, as I mentioned, the, those uh, signs and symptoms are very close to either a deep, deep severe depression or even the beginning of dementia because they will have a positive mental status and close to, you know, but, but the the cardiovascular system still is sensitive to this high level of thyroid hormones. So even though they have deep depression and psychomotor retardation, they could come with a history of palpitation, silent symptoms of AFib, chest pain, angina, and with sometimes I've seen it not in my practice, but I've seen it in uh, when I read um, the research, uh, sometimes and uh, symptoms of heart failure.
0: So you can see why it would be very confounding for a lot of clinicians. I can certainly understand that based upon your description of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I know one of the really interesting concepts to me that you brought up in the article was uh, when you were discussing the etiology of apathetic hyperthyroidism is what's called inflammaging. And I I like that term, it, uh, I think a lot of people can relate to it. And so it's a chronic inflammation associated with aging, right? So can you talk to us about that a little bit? What are the consequences of inflammation and what, if anything, can we do to prevent it?
1: You know, one of the things that I truly enjoy when I work on an article or need to know more on a topic is to do a lit review and reading scholarly works, including from your journal. And I came across this, for me, a rather new concept inflamaging. Uh, inflammation. And as you say, it's a chronic low-grade inflammation, uh, and it's associated with a normal aging process. So it has a very complex pathophysiology. But to simply, uh, you know, to simplify to the bare minimum, I will say that inflammaging result from the overstimulation of the immune system that lead to chronic elevation of uh, inflammation markers and in the blood and the tissues, and but there's no evidence of infection. It's just this inflammation process. And uh, inflammation is a strong risk factors for multiple uh, age-related disease, including uh, thyroid diseases. So during uh, my lit review on inflammation, many authors you know, point uh, their fingers towards the gut flora, and which according to their research, uh, the, uh, that gut flora takes central stage uh, with inflammation or in inflammation. It's exacerbated by nutri- nutrient excess, poor nutrition, and the lack of exercise. So I will say that increased physical activities, improved nutrition, uh, watching our, you know the BMI, but it doesn't get too elevated avoiding overeating as well so of the best way to diminish but not eliminate uh, inflammation of the effect of inflammation on, on all our body systems
0: i think that's a great point point. and over and over again when i'm interviewing authors i hear about getting back to the basics of primary prevention and something that we tend to overlook in our highly developed and technologically focused society And making sure that people understand what are proper nutrients, this classic syndrome we had in our country of overfed but undernourished is a really key thing. And the tendency away from actual physical activity that could not only keep our weight down, but help lubricate our joints and all kinds of things like that. So I think you're bringing up some really good points there. Now, what are some key points that you would encourage nurse practitioners and other providers to keep in mind when they're treating patients with apathetic hyperthyroidism?
1: You know, if I remember correctly, our article in the introduction, uh, we, Dr. Amberger and myself, stated that nurse practitioners uh, need, we have a responsibility to include the fundamentals of geriatric principles uh, so we can provide evidence based patient centered care. I guess what it really means in simple term, is that we need to be aware that the traditional illness script does not really work with. Uh, our geriatric population, because, you know, we expect typical signs and symptoms of, for example, hyperthyroidism, and that does not work for, I think, the research show uh, up to 50% of our, uh, not elderly, because 60 years old is not elderly, but people <laughs> in 60s, they might have atypical or blunted or a- a non-specific clinical presentation. So the first time, if I may share, I evaluated a patient that actually ended up with a diagnosis of apathetic hypothyroidism, my original differential did not include hypothyroidism. So when I got the lab result with that TSH of 0, less than 0.01, my first thought was, oh my God, the lab made an error. So I actually reordered the lab and guess what? It came back again, less than zero zero one. And of course I did a, a thyroid panel and uh, thyroid uh, hormones were super elevated. So in the process of me not trusting the lab, I delayed uh, patient care and appropriate treatment. And, and when I wrote this article, I really do not want other NPs to do this to make those same to, to make those same assumptions uh, based on clinical, it's really it was based on clinical biases. And the second older patient psycho motor retardation and he has a, as well a new onset of palpitation. He did not have aphid but he kept saying my heart is racing and then it stopped and it raced again and but he was like fatigued he looked like he had failure to thrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did include a pathetic hypothyroidism and he did have a pathetic hypothyroidism. So you so, learned
0: from your first encounter.
1: <laughs> that's right so I you know, writing this article, it is my hope that over NPs uh, don't end up delaying proper care.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so very much.
0: And thanks to all of our listeners. And be sure and look for more podcasts from the Journal of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. <laughs> Oh.